You're listening to a Galactic Network podcast. For more, go to GNcast.com. Um, tell me if you think this is a sound theory that I have. Well, game plan for Wonder Woman. Because I'm seeing a lot of advertisements, which usually scares me. Because usually if a movie is heavily advertised before, like leading up to the movie, it usually means it sucks, at least in my opinion. So would you think it'd be safe to wait a week and see what, you know, like like Tom Merritt, um, you know, like the people that we trust say? As far as seeing Wonder Woman? Yeah. The only reason I waited as long as I did for Guardians, and and I'm I'm not one of those people who goes on the opening weekend anyways, but the reason that I waited was because my wife wanted to see it. Um, And I was just excited that this is something she wanted to see with me. Uh, She really liked the first one. She really liked the second one. So that was fine. I don't usually have a problem with movies that advertise a lot. Uh, and, And I mean, one of the criticisms of Wonder Woman's advertising campaign was that they weren't advertising at all up until yeah. just now. Um, but I think part of that may have been because they didn't want to compete with the advertisements that people are going to have with Guardians. Mm-hmm. So put your put your budget into when it's going to have more impact. Um, my concerns is always when they emphasize reviews in the mm-hmm. ad as opposed to showing scenes in the movie when they're just like, and, and here's what this person from a paper that you've never heard of because it's in some faraway fucking land said about it. That's always <laughs> my concern because it's like you see this really big review and it's like two words from the review and then you see this little tiny name on your 55 inch screen and you're going hmm I, I think that if that's what you're pressing for and you can't you can't get yeah. an actual like big name review or or even just like a fucking newspaper or or um website like BuzzFeed or something, if you can't get them to say good things about it for your blurb, then there's probably something wrong. But I I have to say, as far as Wonder Woman goes, the last trailer that came out, I was more impressed with than I'd been with anything going up to it. And I've, as each passing thing has happened, I've enjoyed what I've seen more and more and felt a little bit better about it. Um, but this this most recent trailer, it was fun. It introduced far more of her personality than I think we've seen in the other ones leading up to yeah. it. it. It's been a lot of Steve Trevor uh, cracking jokes and um, at a candy, definitely delivering on the comedy stuff, but not enough of Diana's personality or who she is or why she's Wonder Woman or why she's there. And that's been frustrating to me because it feels like, oh, well, then it's not really Wonder Woman's movie. It's these other characters. Uh, it's like it felt a little bit like Judge Dredd, where they kept emphasizing everything that Rob Schneider had to say, uh, <laughs> because you're not getting the greatest Stallone out of this. Yeah, I really want <clears throat> Wonder Woman to succeed. I I think we yeah. as as fans, especially female characters, uh, empowered characters, but one of the the Trinity, we need Wonder Woman to succeed. Uh, DC. And Warner definitely needs Wonder Woman to succeed because they can't keep saying, oh, well, we've learned lessons from the last film uh, or we've learned lessons from the last two films or now we've learned lessons from the last three films. But we're getting it right now. Um, No, at some point you have to actually get it right. And so this film needs to be good. And, And there's a lot of talk right now because Justice League just went back for reshoots. And people are saying, oh, you know, they're redoing the whole film. That's a really bad sign. It's like, well, they've done that for the last couple of films. 
They do that for they, a lot of movies, but they don't make as big of a deal out of it. But with DC Lord of the or Rings with Warner, absolutely, they always all things have reshoots, and I, I don't think that that's that's unusual. I don't think it's something to get worried about. Uh, I, I just think that we already have such a distrust of what Warner's done. And because we're back to Zack Snyder and the director's chair and Justice League is still building more on the foundations of Batman v Superman than Wonder Woman probably is. It has a lot more that people are already, we've got concerns as it is. But we're still far out enough from that movie even landing where we don't know what it is we've got yet. We've got we've got a pretty good trailer. You know, it, it yeah. it's not a blow your mind trailer. It, it was just good. It was solid. And it, it hits the right notes as far as humor and the interaction of the characters and stuff. Uh, great amount of music used in it correctly. It, it, <laughs> it, it hits the notes that it's supposed to hit, but I just, I really want wonder woman to be great. Uh, yes. so I will probably see it early for me. Uh, yeah. My wife has not said anything about seeing it yet. I don't know if it's a character that she even gives a crap about. Uh, so it may just be one that I go and, and do on my own, which is fine. I, I just, I'm not convinced that it's going to be terrible. I'm not totally convinced it's going to be great, but at least what I've seen makes it look enjoyable. But I felt yeah. that way about Man of Steel. I mean, I thought Man of Steel was going to be fantastic when I saw the previews for it because it just seemed to hit all the right notes. And it did everything it could to fuck me in the ass uh, when I watched it by saying, oh, all that stuff you saw in the previews, those were fucking lies. Uh, that was just yeah. really well edited to make it seem like a good movie when it's just shit. I'm hoping that they they don't have that kind of skill in their editing room for the trailers for Wonder Woman because it, it looks pretty good. On that note, we will begin our show. But first off, I'll say hello to Growly Bear and uh, Brandon. So yeah, I'll start us off here. We are the answers. Welcome to the Elsner's a production of Galactic Network. I'm Gregor Sprague, and joining me is Corey Scott. Um, for all info on this show, including show notes, subscription links, and more, you can go to elsners.com. And for other Galactic Network programs, you can go to gncast.com. As you, if you're watching this live or the uh, unair, unedited version, we tend to shoot our mouth off and without thinking, which means we will both swear and spoil things. So you have been warned. And, and sometimes um, we we do a pre-show. Uh, without thinking about like maybe this needs to make it into the actual program i'm not as you were talking i'm sitting there going all right two different versions two different versions two different versions are going out (laughs) (laughs) just 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 trim all that stuff and put it at the end just 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 make it the end of the show but so Corey, how you doing sir i'm good you know i've had a kind of a tough week i i was uh well let let's be wait, frank. Wait, hold on. Can I, I, guess, I, I can I guess did you did you have did you have a, a press conference planned out and then your boss decided or let you go, but he didn't tell you 
In, no, in it was fact, worse than that because I got this part-time job where I was gardening and I couldn't fucking finish the hedges because some asshole was standing there the whole fucking time. And it just like, dude, like some of us have a fucking life that we have to get back to. And 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 I recognize the fact you're you're probably looking for a place to shit. Uh, you got that look on your face like you're shitting right now. Um, so I <laughs> let me do my fucking job, man. In this economy, it's not like I'm going to get health care. So it's just, uh, see, I, I, what I hope, this is my hope for this, that little bit was that I guessed what you were going to say. And you're like, guess what, motherfucker? You'll never know. You'll never know. I know. I know. And it's, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and think that because that just makes my world feel so much better <laughs> and all that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean. I'm doing good on my end, um, you know, just living the dream of working at Target Mobile and well, Target Tech and spending all the time there. But late at the end of the tunnel next week, I am going up north um, to the northern Michigan and all that stuff, and it should be fun. Oh, yeah. Be cold. Uh, well, but colder than where you're at. But you're in the better time of the year for it. It shouldn't be horribly bad. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking about going up to... And, Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a segment I like to call Places Only Michigan Michigan People Will Know About. Uh, I'll go up to Pictured Rocks um, and then to Quamanon Falls again. Both, like, I've never been to Pictured Rocks, but Quamanon Falls is so beautiful up there. Um, I'll have to uh, be on the lookout on my Snapchat because I'll probably Snapchat some of the stuff, like the naturey stuff when I'm up there. And hopefully I know we'll I'll get go- to it at the end of the show, but you want to give people your Snapchat to follow? Um. <laughs> are you not at that Gregor on Snapchat as well, I or are you? I, I, th- I think I am not one hundred percent. It's been weird for me because I took all, like, I closed off from social media for a little while. Gregor nineteen forty two. Sorry, Gregor nineteen forty two. Uh, I closed off from social media a couple months back and took about a month or so off from from Facebook and and Twitter and all of the stuff that I could, and then I. I have opened myself back to those things, but I haven't put any of them on my phone. Yeah. And so it's, it's tough because it's not so much that I miss scrolling through that stuff on my phone itself. It's the fact that because I don't have the apps on there, it's very difficult for me to share a picture. If I take a picture and I want to upload it to Instagram to share it to other people or, or Facebook, whatever it's, it's a much different process. Uh, like I basically have to be on my computer and open it up in in Google Photos because I've got all my stuff backed up through that and then download it and then upload it into it that way. And it yeah. kind of makes you change how you share things, which is probably good. I'm, I'm such an oversharer as it is. And I know that the stuff, especially my photo stuff, there's not a lot interesting. I've got like 97% is pictures of my cats. Uh, you want to see interesting stuff, look at my wife's Instagram. She's, oh, she's very pretty no, and she's got all her great art. That's that's how my my Instagram was for a little bit. It was and my camera camera roll is camera roll. I don't have an iPhone. My gallery on my phone is it's pictures of it's pictures and videos of my niece. Like just from the See, time where cute. I'm there. Like the the last thing I took a picture of because everything else like I took a picture because I bought ink uh, yesterday for the printer or for the printer at work. So I you know had to do this thing with goddamn conquer uh the website thing to get reimbursed for it and so i took a picture but i deleted the picture afterwards so i'm like i don't need this need this but a video that i recorded which didn't turn out wh- when i wanted because it's like she knew and she wasn't looking at me but she's like oh unk's recording i'm not gonna do this anymore but my sister was mowing the lar- or her yard last week 
and I was watching uh, my niece, and she's with the you know the little the corn popper thing, you, know, you push and it goes pop 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 as you're pushing. Oh yeah. Um, she was doing that, like mom's going, mom's pushing. Oh, she's pushing, and she's going right with mom, like she's mowing the patio and all that. And I, I tried to record it, and it's like, and she's just sitting there like, like damn it, be adorable. <laughs> and that's the thing is is kids are one of those things where i i couldn't close off my social media my mom would kill me uh, if we had yeah. kids and i wasn't posting pictures and videos all the time it's not so much that my life is boring it is but it's mm-hmm. more that i don't i don't have a lot of inspiration of like oh i've just seen this beautiful landscape i'm not seeing any landscapes i'm in a fucking office all day and then i come yep. home to my chair and then it's just like here's pictures of cats on my crotch because that's how i live it's just I'm one big human pillow. Same here. Um, so let's get into some news. Speaking of big, uh, fat pillows, um, Dirk Gently, yeah, Dirk Gently season two is a thing, and they have already added a lot of people to this cast. A lot of people that have had success have had some not success, um, but they've added um, John Hanna who you will know as, um, oh God, I am blanking on his name, um, but he was in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. He played the guy who created Ada, Amanda Walsh, who was in New Girl. And, Not um, New Girl, Alan Lost Tudyk, Girl. Or, sorry, Lost Girl. Um, one of those girl shows. Alan Tudyk, who you might know as the punchline to the joke, um, how does a, a reaver clean its spear um, from Firefly? Yeah. And then um, he was also on the recently canceled tv show powerless we'll get to the uh, some of that stuff in a future episode losing powerless is also left in some hole in some people's hearts yes um and then alex puyanak puyanovic uh from war of the planet of the apes have all signed on and so i'm gonna real quickly go through the characters starting with alan tudyk he will play uh, mr priest and have you read the dirk jetley books i have but i can't say that the show is doing anything like yeah. what you've read in the books. I don't believe that the characters other than other than Dirk himself really uh, are from the books in any way, shape or form. It's it's I'm not sure if it's so much a reinvention of what the books are or if it's a continuation of the story from the books or what. I think that the comic series was going to be doing something that we were going to bridge from the books to the show. Uh, but then the comic series got canceled. The comic, the comic series was taking the. Um, if you're talking about Salmon of Doubt, it was taking the parts yeah, that finished. were finished of of Salmon of Doubt and wrap that up. I don't know if it was. They if were planning on doing something yeah. past that, and it it didn't it didn't yeah. go any further. Um, so let's start with Alan Tudyk. He play he'll be playing Mister Priest, a ruthless, dangerous, and violent bounty hunter working for Blackwing. Um, and they give the credits of he worked in Rogue One where he played K2SO, um, Firefly where he played Wash, and then Powerless. Um, and oh hey, it tells you who, who he's rep by because it's a Hollywood reporter and they always do that. Um, Hannah is set to play the mage, a powerful wizard who takes great pleasure in doing evil and seeking to conquer a world not his own. And um, he is the one who played the dude from Agents of Shield, and, and he then, was in the Mummy movies. Uh, yeah. He was also in was it four weddings and a funeral where he gives the the oh yeah he he does the the thing about his his significant other uh, died and he gives this beautiful sort of poetic speech about him at one of the funerals it it's just it's awe striking it is one of those things yeah. that will just make you 
cry. Anytime I think of him, that's always the first thing I go to, uh, even with the mummy movies and other stuff he's done. It's just that scene always kind of like comes back to me. Uh, he's he's a very good actor. Uh, and it's so weird that we're we recognize him from these very Americanized genre type things. Um, but that's not really what he came from. And it's it's cool that we get to see him wind up in some other fun stuff like this. Yeah. Walsh will play portray Susie uh, Borington or Boriton, um, an unassuming, insecure, uh, depressed soccer mom who was selected for an unexpected role by the mage and gradually reveals her true terrifying self to our heroes. And then uh, Petronovic or Pavinovic, the last one, um, rounds out the group as Weiger Oak, a dominating enforcer for the uh Deng Deng Namer or Deng Damer royal family. Um, he's been in uh, Van Helsing, Supernatural, and all that. And apparently, and, Tyler Labine yeah. is going to be a part of this, which I didn't know. Uh, I, which just, I guess why we missed I paused. That. And uh, yeah. Tyler Labine had been in Tucker and Dale versus Evil with Alan Tudyk, which is great to see them get to do a reunion. And I hope it leads to a sequel of that movie at some point. We've been yeah. hoping for that for a long time. And I haven't seen Labine in a lot of stuff recently. It seemed like he kept getting shows that kept getting canceled. Uh, not yeah, that Tudyk's so- any stranger than that either. But the last show he had that I knew of was um, at uh, Deadbeat that was on Hulu, but then got I think it got canceled or they went on one more season either where he was with Cal Penn or something along those lines. I don't I don't remember what it was exactly. I've always liked him since seeing him in Reaper. And it was one of those like you see him in. Oh, and he was in um, Con Man season two. He had a small, he had a, a small part in one of the episodes uh, for Con Man, which is great because that means but, stuff with I mean, yeah. And I mean, it's oh, and he's in Super Troopers, too, apparently. Now, with the amount of characters that they're introducing and, and with the, the descriptions of some of them, I, I kind of wonder, we know that uh, Samuel Bar- Barnett as Dirk Gently and Elijah Wood as Todd Broatsman are coming back. But I wonder if we're going to get a continuation with some of the other characters we got from the first season, uh, like Hannah Marks's character, who is uh, Todd's sister, Amanda, uh, Fiona Dorif, who I really liked as the kind of like crazy person who had some similarities to Dirk Gently came from sort of a similar experimental thing and is chasing him down the whole time and couldn't Mm -hmm. be she was indestructible uh because of her 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 mission and uh the the Farrah Black character which was Jade Etchley I I liked all of those characters and I was I guess I shouldn't expect them to come back in the next season uh because they do want to try to bring in and invent a new story, but I'll, I'll be disappointed if we don't see at least some follow up with them because they were all really great. And the, the actresses who played them were really great. Uh, also in the first season we had, and I didn't expect him to come back, but we had Julian McMahon was, was kind of like the surprise. You didn't recognize who it was until like they really wanted you to, but he was, he was kind of a big deal. Like, Oh, I didn't expect Julian McMahon to, to be in this. Uh, and then, he was a great part of it, but he wasn't. They yeah. didn't have him steal stuff away from everybody else. Yeah, this is where I'm not going to lie, and I'm going to say this on air again. And I know I'm, I'm a bad person, but I still need to finish uh, the first season of Dirk Gently. Yeah, and i i don't I don't have a big issue with that because i I do think that it probably plays better all in a row. It's a short series. Uh, it was only eight episodes. 
and getting it all at once, you'll feel a little bit more of the, you won't be as confused yeah. each week when you come back and need to get the refresher. I think I was at episode five or six, I think when I, when I f had fallen behind and then s seen it, which I sort of taken the, took the uh, wind out of the sails, like the next, the week that it ended, it was out on target uh, on DVD. I'm like, wait, what? And they, they did this with uh, the PBS series Victoria. They actually released it before it finished on PBS. And I was like, wait, that doesn't make sense when I, but whatever. That's besides the point. Um, so I am looking forward to going back and catching up before, because um, this is what I did with Into the Badlands. Actually, the same thing is I missed out on a few of the episodes. So I ended up rewatching some of the episodes partially because i didn't know exactly where i left off but off then more as a wrap-up like you know like a refresher and then just started doing season two and i'm i've been watching it like i might have gotten one episode behind and then watched both on like the previous episode and the current episode that's next sunday and uh, yeah, so I'll probably kinda feel, like that with i kind of feel bad because i'm pretty sure i got further in iron fist which i still have not finished but I think I got further on Iron Fist than I did in Into the Bad Badlands. And I think it's strictly because Iron Fist ties into the Defenders and the whole Mar Marvel Universe thing. Into the Badlands, I I got frustrated with the the writing and some of the characterization on the show. Uh, I certainly didn't like the, the teenage boy that it became all about. But the fight scenes yeah. were so good. It was so inventive that I enjoyed it for that. And... Whereas Iron Fist, I feel like it's got neither of those things. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's the big thing is like End of the Badlands. Like I and I enjoy for what it is Iron Fist. But it's like when you have in a show like End of the Badlands where the fight scenes are so incredible. Like they've they got me with rewatching some of the scenes or some of the episodes from the first season, and they're doing wire work martial arts on loose rock. I'm like, yeah. How the fuck did they not break an ankle? Like, if I were to have, do to have do tried any of these things, it'd have been like, ah, you know, like I'm I'm letting out the girliest of screams as my ankle is is shattered. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you in a little secret. They have had some training, and they are in a bit, just a bit better shape than you and I are. Hey, round is a shape. Round is a shape. <laughs> but no, I mean, honestly, all in all, I am excited. Don't see a lot for of donuts with broken ankles, I guess. Yeah, um, I am excited for this, and there will be a 10-episode second season of Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency um, premiering later this year on BBC America. America. Um, on to the second news story, and this is that Jeff Johns and um, Gary Frank are uh, reunite for the DC slash Watchmen crossover Doomsday Clock. Now, the reason why we I picked this article, well, we, we I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Um, is because this is the long the long play of Jeff John's whole DC Rebirth thing. Um, it, for those of you who don't know, DC Rebirth came out, the one shot came out last year, and at the end of it they had alluded to the fact that um, Dr. Manhattan was behind the new 52. Um, he's the one that's just, you know, fucking everything up and no no who fucked everything up was the people who made the new 52 and rebirth was yeah. basically to try to fix that shit let's let's yeah. be real here uh let let let's yeah. tell it like it is what? is that the new 52 
became looked at as a huge mistake, uh, even with some with some good things in there. But overall, it was not beloved by many people, certainly not by classic fans or even more recent fans. Uh, it had its own new fandom. Uh, certainly had people who came into the New 52 when it started and and felt attached to the characters the way they were and liked the romance between Superman and Wonder Woman and, and liked some of the other things they did. But many, many people stopped reading the DC books. And there was a lot of things that were just strange. Like they could not figure out what the story was, the history of Bart Allen or Tim Drake or, or most of the Titans in general. Uh, they just kept going back and forth trying to fix things. There was... Lobo, but then later on it turned out he wasn't really Lobo. There was Phobo that came out, and uh, and I assume there was eventually a Bobo and uh, no Hobo. It it was just it was a lot of mess. When when Crisis on Infinite Earths happened back in the the mid eighties, uh, they had a similar problem that affected the Legion of Superheroes because the Legion of Superheroes didn't work anymore because it was always based around there being a Superboy to inspire them. And now there wasn't a Superboy. Uh, they cleared that out with uh, John Byrne's Man of Steel series. So it, it took some years of doing. It took until I think they finally got to around Zero Hour, which is a, a another crossover years later, to get the Legion to make a degree of sense again. With the yeah. New 52, they didn't do any of that. They just screwed it all up. So now what Rebirth did... And there was that that miniseries crossover thing that happened for a couple of months that kind of like led to some of the stuff that happened in Rebirth. Cataclysm? Am I remembering that right? Cataclysm was, like, was Marvel. Okay, what was DC's um, conjunction junction? Uh, uh, convergence? Cock, cockholster? Convergence, yes. Uh, so DC had two months no, where they... Donald Trump, Convergence. I, you know, it's, it's not... It's not anti-gay, it's anti-Trump. It, what Convergence kind of said, okay, so the the old universe as it existed, uh, here's what happened with some of those characters. And that's kind of where they stole Superman and Lois and their son, Jonathan, uh, from that to then reintroduce them into the DC universe with Rebirth and then combine and get rid of the New 52 Superman and the New 52 Lois Lane overall. And then they kind of wiped out the whole continuity of Superman ever dating Wonder Woman and a bunch of other stuff that just didn't work. People wanted their classic Superman. And it's like, yeah, we're going to bring you back classic Superman and classic Lois. Uh, we're also going to give him a kid uh, for some reason. So there's there's still some, like now both their two biggest characters in the DC Universe have preteen children. That That's a little different from what they were saying, which is we don't want our characters to age. And now it's like, yeah, they've aged, they've got kids, which is total opposite of what Marvel would allow to happen to Spider-Man, which is its own fucking mess. So Rebirth, and in Rebirth, one of the things they started introducing, like you said, was the Watchmen connection. This this they, idea that there's a Mr. Oz that we all presume is Azamandias from Watchmen. There are references to Dr. Manhattan and the Watchmen button, which you are reading the buttons uh, crossover right now between Flash and Batman, which also deals a little bit with Flashpoint, as I understand it. Yes. Okay. So this is where I, I get to talk. The whole rebirth thing has been a slow burn in all honesty. Like the DC rebirth uh, one shot that set up that did a lot of the setup stuff for what the rebirth titles would be came out last year. This year we've gotten 
this is what the second crossover a book and i'm putting an asterisk on there because there's technically three but one of them is superman reborn which takes place through in superman and action comics which is sort of cheating as a crossover because it's the same person for both books but it's, but they, it's been a while since we've had that it, it, it's been a while because it used to be that the superman books they would come out there were four superman books a month and yeah. they were numbered in such a way that all through the year you had a little triangle on the cover. So even though it was Action Comics number whatever and Superman number whatever and Man of Steel number whatever, the little triangle would tell you what number of the story you were buying that week. And it was because it was weekly. It was just continue one to the other. Spider-Man did that for a while as well. Um, yeah. But but in since the new 52 came out, not that there's been no crossovers, but it's been limited yeah uh, and rebirth as much as that i mean they did the the crossovers that they've done i mean you're looking at suicide squad versus avenger or versus avengers uh versus justice league superman reborn and then now the button there hasn't really been and then they're doing uh the judas there's concert. a teen titans one right yeah, teen yeah titans the, that's third last week that was um not the judas contract but it was something like along those lines anyways so the button is, it's actually wrapping, we're recording this on Tuesday the 16th. Um, the button wraps up tomorrow. It wraps up on Wednesday with Flash 22 because um, it's a four-part thing. takes place in Batman and Flash 21 and 22, respectively. Written by John's, at least of the Flash portions? Uh, no, written by... Um, I know Tom King was doing some of the Tom Batman King, stuff. Tom King does, is doing the Batman one um robert venditti is doing the flash one okay uh jeff, jeff johns has some say in it like he's helping it's more like he's an editor or something in it than he's writing any of the book well i mean jeff johns is king dc at this point well yeah so what we've seen with this is the and i i actually talked about issue number one a while back ago when it came out but issue number one i kid you not takes all of five minutes to read and that's if you're a slow reader because it's a lot of action in the timeline. It, it only takes place in the course of maybe two minutes with uh, Batman fighting uh, the reverse Flash all in this time of a minute that it's going to take uh, uh, the Flash to get to the Batcave. Um, at the end of that, uh, reverse Flash dies. We cut to we go to the fla uh, to Flash where they're doing. I forget. I forget exactly what they're doing, but they're trying to figure out uh, where the uh, like what's up with the button. And why, you know, Reverse Flash died takes them to Flashpoint because, you know, why not? Um, they're on the cosmic treadmill and it's almost like someone pulled them into Flashpoint. Cut to Batman, which I, I have that one in lenticular and I like that lenticular cover actually, where you have Reverse Flash and uh, the Thomas Wayne Batman uh, over dead parents. And you're going through, like, this is it's it's sort of like dc's spider-man the spider-man series that uh brian michael bendis did but just in the one issue because you have bruce wayne and thomas wayne both reconnecting in a way that yeah, could we, not have happened because we they should, are they are each other's reason uh, reason for becoming batman right we should we should probably explain a little bit that flashpoint was a, a series came out several years ago that was written by john's uh, at the time that dealt with the reverse flash going in time, going back in time and affecting things and Barry's decisions to try to correct them, which includes the death of his mother and, and things that changed the entire universe, which is what 
led directly from that into the new 52 universe. Uh, And so there was never actually a resolve for Flashpoint in and of itself. It's like Flashpoint happens and here's the new DC universe as you know it from this, which I don't even think was even the plan of Flashpoint at the time that they were plotting it. And it kind of became, hey, we're going to relaunch all the DC books. So have Flashpoint lead into that. Some have argued, who may be in the know or not, that Jeff Johns didn't really like that, uh, both for his story and for the direction of the New 52, how it happened, and why he wasn't a bigger part of it when it happened. Yeah, and so with this, with that uh, issue uh, 22 of Batman, that that does sort of serve as, in my opinion, that would serve as the ending of Flashpoint because it does sort of put on that nice nice little bow to that whole thing cut to flash 22 i don't know i haven't read it yet but in there at the end of it they have a four-page epilogue that will be the preview to doomsday clock which comes out um in november of this year of 2017 and we do not know how long the miniseries is going to be but they're billing it as superman versus dr manhattan and the conflict between optimism and pessimism there's a lot of rumors going on with this uh some of the things is they they focus on the button itself the watchman button and as they kind of hone in on it uh we see the blood changed from red to blue and as we zoom in and then start to zoom back out we see it actually become the s symbol from from superman's chest uh but there's questions as to whether it's actually superman's chest that we're seeing and a lot of the rumor and conjecture right now is that it's actually superboy prime and superboy prime is something that jeff johns utilized even further back in a miniseries called Final Crisis, and and Superboy Prime was actually created in the first Crisis on Infinite Earths. Uh, he was a Superboy of a planet. He was their first superhero, and then that Earth got destroyed uh, by the Anti Monitor, and he got he was the only one to escape from it. And eventually, at the end of that series, he and Alex Luther, who was the son of Lex Luther from from Earth Three. And uh, the Superman and Lois Lane of Earth 2, the classic Superman and and Lois from essentially the Golden Age, they were the only ones who survived from these other planets that all went into this pocket universe and kind of sat there in eternity. Uh, And then Final Crisis brings them back. But Superboy Prime goes crazy and starts killing people. Superboy Prime is famously the guy who punched reality, punched the walls of reality, which is what allowed Jason Todd to come back to life and a bunch of other things that they wanted to explain. They're like, well, we could just say that Superboy Prime did it when he came back and, and was breaking the universe a little bit. So Superboy Prime also came back later on, still villainous in the Legion of Three World series, also written by Jeff Johns, which reintroduced the, at that point in time, dead characters of Connor Kent, the Connell Superboy, and Bart Allen, uh, impulse who at that point became kid flash when all of that happened you know it was supposed to be the return to some of these classic characters and it was a very similar story it was like the the optimism versus the pessimism superboy prime john said he was writing him like an internet troll or like a comics fanboy who just hates everything which has has a, a, a validity yeah but kind of got old and so my concern is that seeing this and the idea is that it could be Superboy Prime because he is kind of a pet of Jeff Johns' stories um, if it's going to feel like a rehash and because DC some of the things that we're supposed to be hopefully getting back soon would be things like the Justice Society and the Legion of Superheroes it would kind of make sense 
for this story to lead into some of that. Uh, both of those would have ties to Superman, the Legion especially. Could be the return of Connor, but maybe then Connor lives in the future with the new Legion because we don't necessarily need another Superboy here in this time when we've got Jonathan Kent as Superboy in the Super Sun series. We might get Bart back. It would be nice to have Bart, although we've got a Kid Flash and uh, uh, Wally who's was Kid Flash that is Flash and then Barry is Flash. So we've got a lot of flashes. So the same thing, maybe maybe Bart goes to the future. It's hard to say what all is going to come from it. I just hope that it's not so much of a rehash as it is something that's going to finally put a cap on this stuff because a lot of what Jeff Johns does, it feels like we've done it before. And he is he is the writer who who likes to take the universe and fix the holes that other people have made. But in a lot of cases right now, this is holes that he was involved in making. Yeah, uh, it may be because it wasn't his choice. It may be because uh, Dan DiDio and uh, Jim Lee were trying to go in a different direction with Universe, which was perfectly within their rights to do because they're also editors of the company and, and they were trying to control some of the creative vision for it at that time. But whatever the case is right now, people are pretty happy with the state of the Superman books as they are. Yeah. Um, so seeing how this pays off, it's it's got a lot more weighing on it than I think fixing the new 52 Superman did. The new 52 Superman, a lot of people just did not enjoy. Uh, it was directionless. We know that there was points in time where one writer had no idea what the other writer was doing and kept having his stories changed at the last second. It was rudderless for a while. It, it did get better towards the end. But correcting all that to make the classic Superman return seems to have worked. For the Superman books in, in particular. So it, it's important to not wreck that right now when people are actually kind of happy. Yeah. No, definitely. I mean, for me, you, you when you would say, you know, there were people who enjoyed the, the New 52 Superman. That's me. That's the Superman I came in on is that one. And, you know, I agree, you know, with the whole, you know, talk about uh, one talking about, you know, one writing something and then having to get, have it changed because someone else, Grant Morrison is using Superman and is also writing a Superman book. And they're in the same, same timeline, but different stages in the timeline. And Grant Morrison sort of trumps it because one is Grant Morrison, but two, his is before the other one. And it's just sort of like a whole mess. But where it did start to get good was with, um, Greg Pak writing it actually um, he was writing I believe it was action comics towards the end and it was the powerless Superman it was you know the Superman who you see him wearing jeans and a t-shirt and you know he has his cape torn wrapped around his hands and he's you know doing the best he can with the not all the power stripped away but it's very it was very toned down power wise yeah. yeah yeah it was sort of like Smallville Superman could have beaten him it, at this it, point it it, it seemed to me closer to where Superman started. Superman didn't fly yeah. when he first arrived. He he leapt tall buildings in a single bound. Uh, Superman's powers escalated over time as they introduced all these other characters. It's like, well, we always have to keep Superman as the most powerful. Uh, and I feel like trying to keep edging them up and up and giving them more powers and abilities and stuff makes the stakes harder to match that. So you always have to have world-shattering events to actually make the story have any tension. Uh, so I like a less powerful Superman. I don't like him yeah. to not be Superman, but I, I certainly like a Superman where, you know, you punch him not as a human, but as another strong character, and he's going to recognize that. He's going to feel it, and he's going to have to come at it not just from a place of I'm invulnerable so I can do whatever I need to, but a, you know, I have to think through this problem 
uh, not just solve the the issues with my fists. So, but I, I definitely think Johns is the kind of creator who gets that, who has definitely done some good takes with Superman and the other characters before. I just want to make sure that he's not looking at it as a, oh, I, I've done Green Lantern Rebirth and I've done Flash Rebirth and I, I now we've had the Superman Rebirth, but I want to rebirth them the way that I want to. And I, I just want him to come at it as, let's start telling the stories as the stories again and not try to always change or fix the continuity. Uh, because I, I felt that when they did Rebirth, I wasn't interested in the Watchmen stuff. I wasn't interested in introducing those characters. First of all, I still think it's kind of a ham-fisted way to jerk um, Alan Moore around, uh, <laughs> because it's it's like, really, Watchmen can go away at this point. No new Watchmen material is ever going to measure up to the original Watchmen material by Moore and Gibbons at this point, because they're not coming back to do it. I don't yeah. believe anybody has a story to tell with those characters that is going to impact even close to what that original series did. So why do we have to keep hammering on it? Um, it's not like it's been 40 years of Watchmen books and and we had one really great story. And so we're always trying to get back to that. It, it, it's different than Superman and Batman on all those characters that have just continued to exist all along. Watchmen was one great story and was always meant to be one great story. So the need to involve them in the rest of the DC universe seems about as bad idea to me as the need to involve the Wildstorm characters in the mainstream DC universe, which we saw with the New 52 did not work. All those characters wound up going away and now they're back in a Wildstorm universe again. With the exception of the ones who did work. Uh, Midnighter is still in the DC universe and, and Apollo came over. But Midnighter and Apollo are not like Midnighter and Apollo really were before that. They're, they're not the characters as they were in Wildstorm before because they're otherwise they're just copies of Batman and Superman, which is what they were played at in the first place. Yeah. Um. So they they exist, but they're still not the same. Not to say they're not telling really good stories with with Midnighter, especially they've done great stuff with. But I, again, I don't think it stands up in the way that it did when they could do a commentary on these characters and the kind of stories that they wanted to tell and they needed to tell with them because the authority was giant earth shattering stories every time. But it worked because of the people that they had making those books. And they've just not been able to match that since they've gone through the mainstream DC universe. Yeah. I'm excited for Doomsday Clock. Um, By the way, because it's Dr. Manhattan, uh, can we not call it Doomsday Cock? <laughs> <laughs> we probably could but i i'm Over i'm excited yeah i'm excited for it at the same time it's one of those i'm questioning the reasoning behind it being so long in between telling us like if this was dc from five ten years ago we would have had an explanation and be working on the new way we're going to fuck up the, sh the place not like sort of deal but now it just seems like we're going to take our time telling the story and oh, oh, Jeff wants to tell the story, so we're going to give it to him uh, uh, to be the one to tell it and stuff like that. I mean, it, it just seems I, weird to me. Well, I mean, part of it, too, though, is probably because Jeff is so busy in so many things that are outside of the actual comics these days that when yeah. he comes in and they're not going to say no to Jeff Johns that he wants to do a special project, and especially when he wants to do something as big and um, as seemingly important as what this story is. But it, it is 
one of those things that we have to realize that his schedule, he's probably making more of his money doing stuff in the Hollywood section than he is in the print section. You know what he's not working on right now? Writing a goddamn Batman movie. No, nobody (laughs) seems to be writing a goddamn Batman movie. (laughs) But we're not going to talk about that next. No, we're going to talk about more television news, and that is the uh, Roseanne revival has been confirmed for ABC with the full cast uh, returning as well. This is including Sarah Chalk, who replaced uh, Leslie G- uh, Goranson as Becky, um, and then got replaced back by Leslie Goranson. Now, the show ran from 88 to, um, when did it end? It was like 94 or something like that? I think it was later than that. I think I was actually in California when it finished. It was 1997. Yeah. And so the interesting part with the show is, you know, the fact that they've got everyone of the main cast or the full or the full casters returning, which I believe would include Johnny Galecki. Um, he is not mentioned in the article, but Laurie Metcalf is, who is another one of his co-stars from another show. Um, because she's she plays uh, Sheldon's mom on The Big Bang Theory. Well, I, um, I, between Sarah Gilbert, uh, Laurie Metcalf, and and Galecki, they've all been characters on The Big Bang Theory. But Galecki's the only one who's got a very serious contract job to yeah. do. It may be something one of those things where they're just like, yeah, of course we'll let you do it because you're one of our biggest stars on our one of our biggest shows. And we want to keep you happy. We want to keep our relationships with Lori and Sarah good because Sarah's on the the talk on yep. CBS. Uh, Lori had a show that uh, didn't succeed on CBS. And this is only it's it's a revival. It's it's a short season. I think it's only what eight episodes that they're planning on doing. Yeah, uh, we're, we're seeing the same thing over on NBC where they're going to be doing a revival of Will and Grace, and it's similar to what they did with X Files last year. Yeah, I mean, and I'm like, I'm, I'm just looking through right now because, you know, the one of the interesting things that I have is, or that I, I notice is who's executive producing this. You know, Roseanne Barr is going to executive produce this alongside Sarah Gilbert, which you know makes sense. But then you get Tom. Uh, Werner, Bruce Halford, Whitney Cummings, and Tony Hernandez. The Whitney Cummings one is the one that sort of surprises me. Just well, because the- she did just have her her production production job open up since Two Broke Girls just got canceled. Oh wow! I'm reading this one paragraph right here. It says, um, "It's interesting to see how the re- how this revival addresses the events of the series uh, finale, which revealed the entire ninth season, uh, the one that involved the family winning the lottery, to be a fiction." And in reality, Dan had died. Um, that finale also introduced the concept that the show was actually Roseanne's writing. Um, so that's another hurdle to cross in bringing the show back to the air. This is an interesting thing, uh, conundrum that uh, the show has. And I think I'll, with everyone's, t- everyone's, you know, we got Will and Grace coming back. We've got, you know, the X-Files have come back, 24, Prison Break. A, a lot of shows are coming back and doing revivals or, you know, reunions and stuff like that. But when you get shows that wrote themselves a nice, happy bow or a, a bow on... Or a very miserable bow in the case of Rosie. Yeah, but they've wrapped it up to where there really isn't anywhere that they could go. Do you almost think that they maybe they shouldn't have, shouldn't come back? Well, in, in the case of Will and Grace, they actually flash forwarded to the future for them. We saw their kids. We, we saw something that... Obviously, they're not going to be referencing, I believe, in the new series. And with Roseanne, at at best, what they could do is make it do a Bobby Ewing in the shower. You know, it was all a terrible, terrible dream. Or she's Stephen Moffat. 
you know, she's the one who tells us that Dan's dead. She's the one who tells us the whole last season wasn't real. It's all her voiceover that's saying that. So then she just says, ha ha, I lied. Uh, I, cause I wrote this. I can tell you whatever I want and you have to believe it because, uh, I'm just a bitch. I, I don't think that matters as much. What's, more interesting to me is that TV is at this point, much in the way that films are, is that doing something new is not getting the returns that they want. Uh, it's it's harder to come up with new concepts. It's hard to come up with new shows and make them successful. So we've been seeing remakes. We've been seeing things like the MacGyver remake uh, and a lot of other things that have been doing this. I think that these are a little different because it's meant to be a short run. It's meant to be an appointment viewing thing. Yeah, we're only going to get your eyes for eight weeks. But while you're in there for that eight weeks, maybe you'll check out the show that follows this on the network and maybe you'll get hooked in that. Uh, maybe you'll you'll see commercials for some of the other stuff that ABC has. And ABC, I didn't realize this, is right now in fourth place as far as viewership goes on the, the main networks. And that's very surprising to me, Here's, but yeah. I, I kind of get it. it. It's just so... Yes, we're trying to steal you back with something that, you, that you're familiar with. We're trying to get back these viewers who have given up mainstream TV maybe because they don't like any of the new stuff. We, we have a lot of shows that have just recently been announced as canceled. And then later get uncanceled. It, well, yeah, and then they'll get... I mean, look at, look at Family Guy. Family Guy was a show that did not work, that got canceled and, and came back years later and has had an extremely long and successful run. Not necessarily still writing at the same level that it was early on, but it it still continues to make money. It still does well for for Fox. And is a show running right next to The Simpsons every Sunday and continues to pull numbers. But that show could not succeed when it was first out. These are shows that were successes. So getting these back and getting the original cast back, it, it certainly there's no harm in saying, oh, I get to see these people again. I get to see these characters that I like. But it is weird because we're seeing more shows with spinoffs. We're yeah. seeing more shows that are remakes and we're seeing more stuff like this. That is that all that the the networks can really bring us anymore is stuff that's got a nostalgia factor as opposed to something new and interesting. I mean, even shows that I've liked that are new original shows like Stranger Things. Stranger Things brings a lot of nostalgia factor to it. Um, Ready Player One is built around nostalgia. It's built around that that kind of fanboyish knowledge of everything that happened in the 80s on up. And these are the things that are popular right now. And it's it's just kind of I'm always a little confused and a little bothered that we don't see more in the way of originality. But then we don't see the originality when it happens, gaining a lot of success. Uh, Jordan Peele was who, who just had his hit with Get Out, had the opportunity to do a live action version of one of his favorite movies, which is Akira. And he's decided to not do that because he'd rather make something of his own. He'd rather have creative control of something as opposed to doing what someone else's vision was. And I totally get where he's coming from on that. And it may not be the giant hit that the studios want. It may not be a multi-million dollar or billion dollar blockbuster because multi-million is shit these days but he's proven that he can do something that is brand new that is not a huge budget and have it hit a huge round of success i'm way more interested in that on in theory than i am stuff like this but i can't say that i'm not going to be back to watch this because i watched roseanne for a good number of years i i didn't watch the last couple of seasons it certainly seemed to jump the shark well before they got to the point where they were uh winning the lottery 
Yeah. But I'm interested to see how it comes back and and see everybody collected again. All these people. It was it was a great cast. So interestingly enough, I'm gonna say this, and I'm probably gonna move on because more that could be said will be said when we get to our else words. But I was never the biggest fan of Roseanne. I it, it, it's weird because and at the, like I could probably watch it now and be like, okay, yeah, it's funny, it's it's good. But at the time, I was watching Home Improvement. I was watching Family Matters. I was watching, oh, God, you know, like stuff like that where it was more lighter and that where Roseanne seemed to me to be more crass and rude and stuff like that. Which was her comedy going into it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It was a family that didn't like each other. It was was not dissimilar from Married with Children. Married with Children was like the first big show of, oh, it's the sitcom family except everybody kind of hates each other. Yeah, which I I think I watched more of Married with Children, but at that time I was a little bit older, so it was like, you know, this is like, you know, in wrestling, this was the Attitude Era. This is, you know, where everyone's like, you know, fuck you society and, you know, stuff like that. And so where I sort of got that, but yeah, it it was weird, you know, like I'll be, I won't be surprised if I do like, end up liking this. I won't be surprised if I, you know, decide to binge through Roseanne, like if I were to find it somewhere online. At the very least, it's it's not dissimilar from the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, where you get to watch somebody start out being a young actor or actress, and then get incredibly good as it goes along. And and Sarah Gilbert, especially, is someone who started out. You know, she was just a kid. She was really young. She was good, but as the show developed, you know, her comic timing and everything just developed so much more, and she became a lot more of a center of the show. They built a lot more around her character that you would have expected they would have done with Becky. Uh, part of it was probably because Lacey disappeared for a little while and then they had to replace her. But in general, people identified with Darlene. Yeah. People identified with Darlene so much that she became a character in the Max comic series, essentially. She she just was some, but you got to watch her grow up. And you've seen her, you know, since then in other things, continue on that. And Laurie Metcalf, uh, who won Emmys while the show was on. And I think there was there was even a an after credits scene of her and Roseanne sitting there and, and Becky is cleaning the Emmy and Roseanne's like, give me that. And Becky's like, no, or not Becky. Um, Lori. What was Lori? Uh, well, I'm trying to remember what her character's name oh, was. Jackie, sorry. Jackie, yeah. So Jackie's sitting there like, no, I'm not going to give to you. And Roseanne's trying to reach for it and everything. Um, but she was incredible on this. It, there was so much great stuff on the show that you kind of, you have to, recall that in 1988 when this first started people did not expect this out of a show people did not expect the mom of a family to be such a bitch to her kids and to her husband and yet they still had so much love between them too the romantic interactions between dan and roseanne were incredible because you really bought into how much they loved each other but then when they fought you could feel the heat of them fighting you could understand their points you could you could root for one or the other or both in a lot of cases it touched on things that i don't think a lot of other sitcoms did at that point i think a lot of other stuff that's come since owes a lot to shows like this uh but this show in particular so it'll be interesting to see what they can do today other than just repeating what they were doing then or if what they did then is going to be enough with audiences today yeah which again we will hit on more on that at the else words but that is going to do it for the else news we will be right back 
If you like what you've heard on this Galactic Network podcast, please consider helping us out financially by going to gncast.com support. On that page, you'll find links to our Patreon campaign where you can make a small recurring monthly pledge of as little as $1. Or click on our Amazon affiliate link, make a purchase, and we get a very small percentage from the sale. Again, go to gncast.com support. And thank you for supporting the Galactic Network podcast. And we are back, and it is time for the Else Views. This is the section of the show where we talk about the TV shows or the movies or video games or music or whatever we have been, uh, you know, that we want to go in-depth on that we've basically been nerding out over. And, Corey, I'm going to tag on yours and also add something else. But before we get to that, I'm going to do mine because I'm selfish and greedy and I want to do it. The show I'm going to talk about, is one that I was talking about before the show with before we even went live on uh, the the stream, and this is the Keith and Patty Picture Show, and it's Patty P A D D Y, as in he is Irish and his name is Patrick. But this show is it airs over in the UK, so this is a little mini pod save the Queen for you. Uh, and the show is oh, it airs over on ITV, and this is uh, Keith Lemon and Patty McGinnis creating half-hour versions of movies, but doing it in a really funny way. They have aired two episodes, um, and I, I before I go any further, I have to give credit to uh, my friend from a Minecraft community, uh, Weasel Words, for actually reminding me of the show because I had forgotten about it, and I'm like. Oh, yeah. VPN. Hey, I'm in England. Let's watch the show. Uh, but they've aired two TV or they've aired two episodes so far. Um, the first one was Dirty Dancing, in which they had because um, one of the great things about the show is the cameos in there from other you know famous people. Typically, they're British famous people. But with this one, it's one that these they're people that, you know, everyone will know. Um, so for Dirty Dancing, they had John Barrowman come in as the choreographer because um, they, they talked about, and, you know, gave some interesting facts. Like, I didn't realize, you know, with Dirty Dancing, that they had never come up with the dance, the Dirty uh, dirty Dancing dance, until they had brought Kenny Ortega in there, and he got the um, Patrick Swayze, and I'm blanking on baby's name, in a room, and then just said, dance. Jennifer, Jennifer Gray, I believe. Yeah, Jennifer Gray, and stuff like that. <laughs> That episode is hilarious because you see Keith Lemon playing baby in here and he has this big fake prosthetic nose because this is, I guess, Jennifer Grey before she got no, uh, uh, nose surgery. She, she got the rhinoplasty. Correctly. And all that. And, and then Patty McGinnis, who is playing Patrick Swayze, there's an article that talks about the show um, from the mirror.co.uk where they play a clip and it's the scene where uh baby and patrick stewart's character or patrick swayze's character meet for the first time and they pause because they'll just think like they'll pause or you, the director will say cut when they're recreating the movie and they go uh keith goes so patty you uh how did you prepare yourself for the role of, of patrick swayze's character he's like well i just watched the movie and i noticed that he just shook his head a lot so you just see him in there just go, like and he's, he's wearing a wig and like you know like patrick uh, swayze's hair and you're sitting there shaking his head all the time like he's got Tourette's or something and it's the funniest thing that I've seen the second episode is Ghostbusters and you have he's a professional uh, soccer player or former professional soccer player now he's a commentator I believe on ITV or Sky Sports 
um, for soccer football over in the rest of the world and uh, named uh, Chris Akabusi. He plays Ray Parker Jr. in the Ghostbusters one, but he keeps coming out anytime the music's playing. So like they, they do the beginning, do the intro, and then he comes out when there's something strange. It's like, no, Chris, no, mate, you got to wait. This you're, You don't come in until the end. <laughs> he comes in, the song's not even playing. It's, he's just like, they say Ghostbusters. He's like, when there's something strange. <laughs> it's one of the best scenes, the best little bits, running gags they have going throughout the whole thing. They even do this debate over practical effects and um cgi so much where they have the stay puff marshmallow man as an 8-bit character when they get to the big climactic scene but honestly the whole show is this whole series is just brilliant in the fact of how they do this you know balance humor with recreating movies you know like some of the shows that they've got coming up include um or episodes they have a rocky episode oh gosh they've done uh there's I think there's gonna be six all together for this this series and i'm like okay can it be saturday so i can watch this please <laughs> because it's just funny entertainment out there all right it's it sounds a little bit there's a movie that i actually have in my dvr because i've been wanting to rewatch it again uh be kind rewind with uh jack yes. black and yes Mustaf. yeah it's similar to that except for it's it's it the overarching premise that we have to do this because we have to yeah. save the video store and it, it skews more towards like documentary b actually compared it when i was telling him about it to documentary now and i was like yeah, yeah. okay it's, it's similar to that except for the fact that they're not recreating a documentary like spoofing a documentary or a silo documentary in a whole new way you know so like uh what was it? the nanook of the north was based off of a uh, you know, this one documentary and all that, like they did the, uh, was it like weeds episode or whatever that was the vice, like the playoff of vice documentaries and all that, but it's very similar. So that is the Keith and Patty picture show. You can catch that Saturday nights. If you're in the UK, Saturday nights at 9 PM, I believe, um, it, it airs after Ant and deck over there or Burton's got talent, one of those shows, but yeah, and you can catch it on ITV. Is there any rumors of it coming to the States or is it strictly going to be a UK thing that you have to find your way to that content? I would love for it to come to the States. I have no idea if it is or not. It would do, it would actually do really well on Comedy Central as opposed to like BBC America, just with how a lot of the humor is, but I don't know. I don't think there is. I think it's still, because it still is very early on and a lot of the humor is like that I that I get with it is because I watch Keith Lemon on his other two shows that he has on ITV and Keith Lemon is a character himself, but uh, his show celebrity juice and um, through the keyhole. So it would be a little tricky and it also beats pointing out the copyright landscape here might be, you know, it could be a little counterproductive and stuff like that. But I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure on if it, if it could even come over, but I don't know. I I don't know how big of a hit it would be because of the because of the fact that a lot of people don't know um, who Keith Lemon is here in America. I, I don't think it's it's that so much. But it seems to be that if it's so far the the two examples you've given, it's spoofing very well known American movies. Uh, that that might be what gets it attention um, yeah. more than the fact of who the people who are doing it are. 
Yeah, and there's uh, I'm remembering a couple other movies, um, Jaws, Rocky. There's a few other ones, but it's yes, yeah, it's, it's really short, six season or six episode season or series as they say over there. But yeah, that's enough talking about this. Let's get into your nerding out. Or I, mean, your I don't I don't really have a lot to say about it. I I, I was gonna skip nerding out myself this week, but for the uh, second week in a row. Well, I <laughs> first of all, I am I'm I am quite popular. Me. Uh, second, I am, I am trying to get through something else that I need to review for another show. Uh, not trying to make it sound like it's not something that I'm enjoying. It's just, it's more taxing as far as the time and, and effort that goes into it. Uh, so yeah, so Gregor's going to push me on this. The thing that we're going to talk about is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. So I know we say at the top of the show, we spoil things. If you have not seen Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 yet, you should probably skip over this part because I assume that there's some stuff that we're just going to have to say. But in general, now you've seen this and you saw it and you were going to talk about it last week. And and because I hadn't, you were nice enough to skip over it. So, so give me your thoughts on it. So I think this is the best Marvel movie to date. I know that, that a lot of people think that's a bold statement, but the humor in here, the way sound always plays big with me on movies, the way that the soundtrack, which I purchased, like physically bought, you know, dead trees and oil, you know, and purchased and was rocking out to it this week, going to and from work. Um, and church and stuff like that just you know playing songs that i've i made a playlist for you know leading up to it and all that stuff but they fit so well together like this isn't to take away from you know guardians volume uh awesome mix volume one but the it feels like they had a little bit of problems getting some songs that like like that james gunn would have wanted more with volume one because of how well the songs work with the story in volume two. Well, I, one of the things that I know that, that James said is in choosing music for volume two is he went to the fans and he said uh, on social media and other places, he's like, you know, what songs do you think would be on awesome mix volume two? And in particular, one of the songs was a song he had never heard before. It was something that uh, someone sent in and he had no familiarity with it at all. But he listened to it. He's like, this is actually really good. I can see a scene where this would go. I'm going to utilize this. I don't know that I necessarily agree that the songs chosen for the first one were not his first choices or that the songs chosen for this one were were because they had a bigger budget or anything. In fact, they spent less on the budget on this movie overall than yeah. they did on the first one. But a lot of that probably came down to effects and because contracts were already signed and that sort of stuff. I just, I noticed the use of the music differently in this one than I did the first one. Some things, like the openings, not the opening opening, but the scene where the Guardians first are shown and they're fighting the giant creature and Baby Groot plugs in the the amp and does the whole dance scene, which was reminiscent of the scene in the first movie with Star-Lord doing it, except much more intense, a bigger scene and everything, and just because it was fucking adorable because it was Baby Groot. Also, it wins in my heart because it's ELO, and I'm a huge ELO slash Jeff Lynn fan. Yeah. That was amazing. But I, I noticed scenes also where they replayed the same song more than once. Uh, that yeah, Fleetwood Mac song played a couple of times. Yeah, that's, that's the one part where, like, because I can because of how my brain works and a lot of people's brains work where you know i can you know with hearing these songs 
and it's like i could tell i can tell what i'm going through like okay fox on the run isn't in and they even have an asterisk on here you know it isn't on in the movie and all that but it's the one that's used in all the promo promos and it's but then you get you know like uh lakeshore drive and uh mr blue sky um the, and, and all these it's it's until you get to uh track 10 wham bam Sham, uh shangalang where it's like these songs that come afterwards i'm like i think all these are credit songs that are on here um surrender by cheap cheap trick cat stevens father and son flashlight by parliament and then no, actually i remember of- all of those from the film uh the the only one I remember distinctly from the credits, I think, was the one that has David Hasselhoff rapping in it. Yeah, uh, Guardians Inferno. Right. Uh, but all the other stuff, I think, made it into the actual movie. Uh, and there was songs that probably got used that weren't. I don't know if that's necessarily the case. As, did the movie feel a little long to you? Not in the sense of I'm getting bored, but in that the typical three-act structure wasn't like strictly adhered to. I had a little bit of problem with pacing. I had a little bit of problem. One, it felt long in points where it didn't necessarily need to be long. Although I think all the scenes were done well. And and I I don't think that there was anything where it was story that didn't make sense or need to be told. It wasn't necessarily that I thought anything had to be cut. It was just that it felt longer than what it needed to be. The first one was so action heavy and, and you just were kind of pulled through the whole thing very quickly. And this one, part of it was probably because they separated the characters uh, more than once. And a lot of it hinged on uh, Mantis needing to tell them what was going on with Ego. And the stuff between Gamora and Nebula and the stuff with Rocket and Yondu. It was just a lot of things that were trying to establish the same stuff of, of trust and family and things. While we were already supposed to be dealing with the story of Ego and Star-Lord and them. And it it seemed that when the stuff with Star-Lord actually happens, it didn't have as much impact because we had been getting so pulled around to these other things at the time that it it didn't work for me as well. I I really like the movie. I don't want to act like I didn't enjoy this movie a lot because I absolutely do. And it's certainly not the the second movie slump that, say, Iron Man 2, a lot of people feel, didn't Mm -hmm. work as well. Thor 2... I think is as much as I enjoy it, it, it's for me, it's at a level that Thor one was, but it also, neither of those are super high on the list. I, I like both films. Absolutely. But I can see that the complaints of Thor is like, they just, they just kind of brought us more of that and they involved Jane too much. Yeah. I just, I, there was parts of it that I felt maybe there was so much going into this that some of it could have been trimmed away. And when you want to talk about excess, you can, you can get to things like there are five credits slash post credit scenes, but I loved all of those scenes. So I, I wouldn't ask for any of them to not be there. It's just as much as I love this movie, I can probably pick at it a little bit if I choose to yeah i don't see it as the best marvel movie myself personally but i still see it as a very great example of what marvel can do especially when they're not tied into the avengers stuff and everything else where they all have to kind of mix together but it's interesting because the next thing we have for these characters is going to be when they tie in with the avengers stuff and they all mix together and it's i i I think the reason why i like this movie the most why i i say it's it's my it's the best marvel movie that in my opinion is because this isn't based off of any storyline like you don't have you're like okay here's you know this scene where you know 
you know, the scene where Iron Man and Hulk fight in, with, in, you know, Iron Man's using the Hulkbuster armor, you know, comes from, you know, this part here, or, you know, we're going to use, you know, very loosely the Civil War story uh, from the comic books for Captain America Civil War, you know, all these other little things. It's just James Gunn, Nicole, or I think it's Nicole Perlman, you know, it's just the writers, producers, actors, all making a good, you know, making a good movie is where it really pays off for me. Actually, James Gunn is the only one who's listed as written by other than the creators from the comics who created the characters okay. all get uh, well, ratings, which I think is great. Dan Abnett, Andy Lanning, Steve Englehart, uh, Steve Gann, Jim Starlin, Stan Lee, Larry Lieber, Jack Kirby, Bill Mantlo, and Keith Giffen all get writing credits on this film because of the characters they created it for Marvel that show up in it. I think that's fantastic. I am yeah. deeply yeah. encouraged by oh, yeah. Marvel uh, doing that now. The other part I like about this is the Easter eggs is the fact that there's so many little Easter eggs in there. I did not recognize Michael Rosenbaum at all in here. Yeah, I didn't either. But yeah, that that's kind of the important thing is in that character, you're not really supposed to. Well, well yeah, but I mean, even so much like Ving Rhames, like, oh, hey, that's Ving Rhames. Sylvester Stallone. Right, oh, hey, he that's... looks like Ving Rhames. They, they yeah. don't actually dress him up at all like Charlie 27, which is who I'm assuming he was playing. Yeah. Uh, but it's even with other characters that are in full body makeup or CG and you hear their voices like, oh, that's I didn't recognize his voice either. And this is coming from a guy who was a fan of his on Smallville, was a fan of his within Pastor, um, watched that movie that he was in with Harlan Williams, um, where he played, um, where he cross-dressed to join a sorority and the one yeah. dude from Seventh Heaven. And so it's like, you know, I would have picked up on his voice, but I'm like, wait, that was Michael Rosenbaum? But yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. It also got me excited for for Thor Ragnarok. And, and part, I think it's partially because they played the trailer leading in, they did it at my theater. And so it was just like, you know, hearing everyone else laugh at, yes, he's my buddy from work moment from the trailer. Because it was that, it was that same trailer. But then also later learning that Mark Mothersbaugh is doing the music for Thor Ragnarok. I had no idea who that is. Mark uh, Devo. Oh, okay. He's dude from Devo. He also later did the music for Rugrats and um, yeah. has done other movies and stuff like that. But yeah, I'm like, wait, what? And you're not the first person, so I'm not going to hold it against you for being like, wait, who's Mark Mothersbaugh? I, but I typically would go, you know, when a problem comes along, do you know what you got to do? Uh, what, I you usually give it a hand job. <laughs> so you whip it right you that's whip exactly it what i just said what are you not <laughs> listening to me <laughs> but that's usually what i would what i'd say them like someone would go i'm like fucking young jackass or you get it right now you get it yeah and he's like oh what's the name devo oh yeah like there was one or two things that would happen i'm like it's okay i know i'm i know i'm really obscure with a lot of things sometimes but i don't care but yeah so yeah I, I have to say my wife and i went and saw this we we both had a really great time she definitely enjoyed it uh made me happy that that's what most of all i leave out with with the theater with my wife who sat through all the closing credit stuff and everything and didn't complain about you know i didn't get up when the fucking lights came on or anything that's an amazing time for me it, it, it my wife and i have sometimes very different opinions of movies and certainly she's not in all the Marvel stuff. So it's a real treat to be able to see something like this with her and have her excited to see something like this yeah. in, in general. 
it was it was a very good film and i love what james gunn has been doing and i'm glad that he's coming back for the third one and i hope he gets to be involved in more of the creative stuff in the the marvel cinematic universe overall but i'm also glad when he's doing his own things and creating stuff that's not a part of that because he does have creative ideas that he gets to still do and and people are going to look at him more. It, it's kind of like, well, you know, once you once you do this this big superhero movie, Sam Raimi, you get to go and do this other thing um, with a little bit more of a budget now be, than you would have had before. People recognize you from this sort of stuff. Peter Jackson, uh, Guillermo del Toro, all these people are like, yeah, I've got my my big money maker over here, and now I can go and make my own stuff and have a little bit more of a bump as to how much I can actually play with it. I think that's fantastic. Yes. And I, the final thing for me to say is I am Groot. <laughs> and go buy the CD because the CD, I, I really love the soundtrack. Or buy the Doritos package that plays the music. Did you see the teardown of that? No. Uh, the Verge got a hold of one of the bags um, because I guess they only sold it on one day. It's a full-size bag of Doritos. You get a snack-size pouch. That's fine. <laughs> would not surprise okay. me if you open that thing up and there's an actual zune inside <laughs> no it actually has it actually has less storage space than the zune it's a 500 512 megabyte sd card so not a or lot micro less. sd card <laughs> yeah but yeah that's gonna be it for the else views we will be right back look up in the sky it's a bird it's a plane no it's what is that exactly you know, Superman is an extraterrestrial, so you may hear us talk about him on the Alien Invasion podcast. Hey, it's Dave Nelson inviting you to join myself, Brad Ludwig, and Anessa Moyens for our weekly discussion about all things not of this Earth, whether they be gray or green creatures from fiction, the latest stories from the world of science regarding the real possibility of life out there somewhere, or the claim from somebody saying they're already among us. We'll talk about it. You'll hear three stories from the week's news, a featured sighting, and our entertainment picks or warnings rated on a scale of one to five flying saucers, of course. All of it and more every week on the Alien Invasion podcast, part of the Galactic Netcast Network of Shows. Find us at gncasts.com slash aliens or wherever you subscribe to podcasts. And we are back and it is time for the else words. This is our main topic of the evening. And this one is coming to us from the Hollywood Reporter. This has really big ties to our last uh, news article talking about the Roseanne reboot. And this is that with the networks, ABC, NBC, or the ABC, CBS, I think NBC has a couple still that are in limbo and Fox abandoning completely the multi-camera sitcom. It sort of leaves it left me wondering like what's going going to happen with this format so um, describe for the audience who might not be familiar multi-camera sitcom versus single camera so if you single can give examples yeah so single camera sitcoms are shows like um the goldbergs imaginary mary uh, modern family where it's it's shot like a movie is or a any you know any drama tv show you know that's not that doesn't say before it film before a live studio audience where it's you know they're all sets they do you know shoot dates and stuff like this there's typically one camera multi-camera 
um, sitcoms are, you know, shows like Friends, Home Improvement, The Happy, uh, Happy Days, Mork and Mindy, to go late to more modern stuff, Last Man Standing, Dr. Ken, Two Broke Girls, uh, Big, Bang Big Bang Theory. You know, the, it's these shows that they're, you, you, there's typically a laugh track like a laugh track or there's an, the audience laughing with it fresh prince of bel-air is another one of those that just came to my mind where and, you and have actually the, the difference is with a a single camera you film it like a movie which is you can you can have that camera hone in on a single character and go back and forth but a multi-camera is the people trying to act out the whole scene live together uh you're not getting a lot of that honing in it's it's trying to get it done realistically it's not always going to be the case but trying to get it done in one take uh, yeah. When we were watching, they were doing live versions of it the, in the final season that it was on. The uh, what was the one with Ron Funches? Undateable. Undateable. Undateable was a multi-camera show that was definitely filmed before a live audience, but they upped the the ante by actually doing the show live every week to to make it be like there really was only one take and yeah. so all the mistakes and stuff that happened you got there obviously there were always chances of retakes and things uh on big bang theory and friends and, and those shows but again because you've got an audience there you're going to get less laughs the second time through than you are the first time and it's it's, it's going to make the day a lot longer for them uh trying to watch it as well as for you as the actor there's only one caveat to the multi-camera comedy and that's how I met your mother, because I, I actually looked into the whole thing with them. They didn't film live. The the laugh track that you heard in there was people laughing. It was, you know, people laughing at the right spots. But it what it was is they recorded everything and then recorded the audience laughing to, you know, the to the show, to the recording. So it's essentially people got to see an early release of the episode and then laugh and then their laughs got put into the to the show yeah and that's um, probably why that feels a little bit more natural in a lot of ways because while fake laugh tracks are annoying to a lot of people my wife always calls out fake laugh tracks it feels more natural because the the dialogue moves at a brisker pace because yeah. you don't have to pause you you'll see this on youtube sometimes someone will take a show like the big bang theory and they'll play it and they'll edit out all the the laughing so that you feel like oh this is real uncomfortable because they're talking and then they just stop where the laughs would normally be, and it all it, it doesn't seem as funny because you're not laughing along with the audience. But part of the reason why it feels that way is because they have to stop because they can't just keep talking when the audience is reacting. So yeah. it feels a lot more alien in how they're acting around each other. And and that, that quick-witted comedy thing that you get in a single-camera show plays differently because you don't have to wait for other people to catch up. And sometimes you'll laugh at a part. My wife all the time gets a point where she laughs at something super hard and I have to pause the show and then she'll ask me to rewind it and then she'll just go in a laughing fit for 20 minutes, uh, which is some of my favorite stuff in the world. Yeah. So to get into the article here, ABC has canceled Last Man Standing, Dr. Ken. And yeah, Growly Bear, to answer your question, um, a three camera show is similar. Typically, the the way I could describe it would be the shows like Friends, where Home Improvement did this a lot, where they would have the outtakes where you would see them go from the like from the living room into the garage, around into uh, the set of Tool Time, you know, over into Al um, like Al's house or uh, Wilson's house, and then back. Sort of deal, like they're. Basically, where it's like they're in a studio, 
there's an audience there. It's sort of like there's the audience is seeing a play that has cameras on it. And occasionally Saturday Night Live is a, is a great example of a multi-camera yeah. show, except not as a sitcom. But when you see them as they're they're loading up stuff in between segments and in the commercial breaks, and you'll see like the flashback to like what they're doing in the studio at that point in time, you can see how the cameras are set up. And then as you're watching it, you get more of a feel of like where people are and how they all interact with each other and how the cameras interact. And if you've ever seen in the studio room uh, if, or if you watch something like Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, you get more yeah. of a feel for how that stuff goes. Yeah. But to, to get into the article here, you know, we got shows like Last Man Standing and Dr. Ken both being canceled. Um, Last Man Standing had six seasons. Um, Dr. Ken had two from ABC. And then CBS canceled Two Broke Girls, The Odd Couple and uh, the great indoors and then there's a few other ones that i'm not 100 certain on because this article is a little bit dated already because it, it only has the cbs stuff as on the bubble or it's not looking good for them but i'm going to stick with the abc one real quick because you know you have all these different shows and by the way there is a petition out for last man standing where the person is calling to boycott abc i laughed hysterically at that and i'm like really just not like oh mail in you know like a fishing lure or something you know to tie in with outdoor man or with you know with the show um you know like you got with um you know the save beth campaign where you everyone sent into the walking dead offices spoons it's just like nope we're gonna boycott the show we're gonna boycott the whole network and stuff like that. well so little inside baseball and i don't know if this is actually anything to do with that person's uh feelings but Tim Allen is looked at as one of the few open Republicans on, yep. on TV right now. And he he recently had a conversation on one of the late night shows where he talked about that. Yeah. And he said, you can you can get blackballed very easily by having different political views than the rest of Hollywood. And it, and anything he said didn't really seem like he was pointing out that that's something that is actually happening to him or that, you know, he feels threatened or anything. But it is strange I could see conspiracy wise the timing of his show being canceled just after that conversation was had. Yeah. Although I don't think it's any secret to anybody of what Tim Allen's political standings are. I don't think it really matters. The other side of that though, is that at six seasons, his shows already hit syndication. Mm-hmm. He's already got a show that's going to continue on and reruns on, on different shows or different it channels. Yeah. It, it, it already awesome. is. It, it's already on oh, this is Agents of Shield. Agents of Shield is in syndication, and they keep saying that the reason that it's getting a fifth season is because they want to get to that hundred episode thing that you usually need for syndication. Yeah. Uh, so it, it, I don't know if syndication's rules are the same as they used to be, but it was six seasons of a show, and it may have been that if they couldn't get the success they wanted out of it and Doctor Ken together, and Doctor Ken had only been around for two seasons, like maybe they just were having a hard time making that hour of TV on Friday nights work. And we know that they're changing the Friday nights anyways, because that's where they're moving. Once upon a time, that's where the Inhuman show is going to wind up, which is then later on going to be replaced by Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in the the January of 2018. So, and they're moving what was the other shows, the, what is the damn? Shark Tank. Yeah, Shark Tank, they're moving to Sunday nights instead. I I don't know if that toy show is coming back, but that thing was garbage. Uh, So I hope not. They're moving those things around. So they're, they're definitely changing the format of where the shows land and what they are to a certain degree. So losing these two shows, which felt like a holdover from the very old TGIF days, 
Yeah. And it was like that last bastion of that kind of comedy on ABC, which again is the last bits of multi-camera comedy on the station. But here's here's the interesting part. So just with ABC, I haven't even hit CBS yet. Sources sources are telling the the a writer of the article that ABC is redeveloping the Carol Burnett family comedy household name being produced by Universal Television. So this could mean that ABC could enter the 2017-2018 broadcast season without a single camera comedy on its schedule for the first time in years. Yeah, but what we've seen from ABC is that their most successful comedy shows have not been yeah. multi-cam shows. They've been single cams because they've been Modern Family. They've been the Goldbergs. Their, their entire block in the, the midweek is is made up of single cam comedy shows, of Fresh Off the Boat, Speechless. Those things may not be the numbers that they used to get on the multicam stuff years ago, but none of these stations are getting those it's, numbers I, anymore. I, I think why I'm a little bit upset with this is because there's a nostalgia factor. Even with new shows, there's a nostalgia factor to the fact that this is like I was surprised with season two and three of Last Man Standing, where they started to go, they'd have the actors going, Last Man Standing was filmed before a live studio audience. That was shit that happened in during TGIF. You know, during, you know, like what's Boy Meets World, Girl Meets World, or not Girl Meets World, Home Improvement, uh, Family Matters. You know, shit like that. You'd always hear, you know, uh, Family Matters is a film for a live studio audience. And it occasionally when they had uh, Jaleel White do it and he did it as Urkel, he would do or Urkel. He would make do like like a noise or something with it afterwards. But it's it's weird because you got that. You've got CBS, which canceled Two Broke Girls, The Odd Couple and The Great Indoors, leaving Big Bang Theory, Mom and uh, Man with a Plan, Kevin Can Wait and Superior Donuts. I'm not 100 percent sure in the last three. But those could be it for the, for the multicam uh, half-hour shows and bringing more fear to the fact that we're going to lose a format, at least for a while. The Big Bang prequel show, Young Sheldon, is being reworked, ditching the multicamera format. And then the only out of the pilots that are coming from CBS, three of them are multicams, two of them are single cameras, and two are hybrid. Um, so they're using elements from both. And the front runner is 9J, 9K, and 9L. Um, that's the name of the show, um, which is a multicam sitcom. This is starting to worry me. You know, Fox has already given up on on the multicam, it seems like, because with a lot of their cam uh, their comedy shows, it seems like the single cam is wor- works better for the for the viewers because you know what they got a uh, new girl making history. Well, making history has been canceled. Yeah. Uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine last season. Brooklyn Nine Nine yeah. is usually on the cusp, but seems to have got gotten a comeback. Uh, what was the one? Yeah, uh, and what Son of Zorn got canceled. So comedies in general for Fox are always uh, a sort of comedies and sci-fi shows. Those are the ones that they can't really nail. The mini project wasn't even popular enough to stay on Fox, but managed to come back on Hulu for a couple of seasons before finally finishing off. It's Fox is always its own worst enemy when it comes to programming as it is. CBS seems to be the last bastion of this style of show, except for when you talk about the comebacks, the the Roseannes, the Will and Graces. If those shows come back and they suddenly go to a single camp format, I think that's going to turn off a lot of longtime viewers. Yes. Uh, who are looking for the return because they wanted to feel like the classic show. But then isn't now you watch this. I didn't. But isn't One Day at a Time, the the remake series on Netflix, isn't that a 
multicam. Yes. And, yeah. and I think Netflix is doing other things like that. Certainly shows that I would never watch like the Richie Rich show, but other things. But it, it feels like a quaint, their, their Fuller House show is like that as well. Mm-hmm. It feels like a quaint throwback to a time. And I think what the networks, the broadcast networks need to do right now is they need to look like they're taking more risks. Uh, they need to take a, a lot of steps forward because people aren't looking at them as being where they're going to get forward thinking content. They look at them as like, well, I've always watched it, and it's the same old goddamn NCIS episodes, which have existed essentially since JAG. Uh, and I don't even remember when JAG started, but it's been a long fucking time. I don't know that there's anybody who watched JAG that isn't a senior citizen at this point because of how long ago it started. That being said, these they need new direction on these networks, and Netflix and Hulu and Amazon can take the chances of hitting your nostalgia button more. Um, yeah. And... and the Roseanne show was shopped around. It didn't have to land at ABC. It almost didn't land at ABC. It almost seemed like it was going to land at CBS instead. The other part is ABC is, <laughs> while I say that they should be taking chances, they're also buying things like American Idol and putting that on their network like some dumb shits. Uh, Wait, so what? American, yeah, remember when American Idol got canceled uh, uh, two seasons ago? It's yeah. coming back to ABC, who just hired Ryan Stiles to be on the Kelly show. So I wonder how that works, but uh, they couldn't get Simon Cowell to come back to it. So it, it'll be a new invention of, but ABC has been behind the numbers against things like American Idol uh, and against things like the voice. So of course they're going to snap that up when they can. I, I just, I don't feel like we're losing multicam sitcoms. We're just going to see them someplace else. And I think when you look at the amount of shows that ABC has tried to make that multicam sitcom work, and it's been less and less successful each time. Uh, Cristela was not too long ago. I can't even remember some of the shows that were on before that. They were they were trying to team up with these with the ones that actually have a, a bit of a viewership. They they just didn't work for them. Where they're seeing their success is things like the Modern Family stuff. And so we're even getting spinoffs of things like the Goldbergs. We're getting spinoffs of Blackish. So they're not even taking huge risks there. They're just saying, well, this is the thing that gets us the numbers right now. So let's give them more of that thing as opposed to this other thing, which never gets us consistent numbers. He's Ryan Stiles is going to be the new co-host with Kelly Ripa. Yeah, that's already been announced. I, I think he's already started on it. That seems and, so weird because she is so small. And Katy Perry is going to be one of the new judges on American Idol. Okay, sorry. That's what threw me the most. I'm like, wait, really? <laughs> Ryan yeah. Styles with Kelly Ripa. Ryan Styles, who is is pretty much the guy who would just do any goddamn show that you put in front of him. Uh, yeah. You're surprised that he he was willing to step into the Kelly Ripa <laughs> spot. At, at least she doesn't have to worry about him getting more popular because he's on that show that he goes and does something else because he's already doing every other fucking thing else. Yeah, he's still involved with uh, Who's Line, um, which is coming back in the summer. I sort of like the what they're doing with that with uh, CW with this like as a summer and, and winter season or series, you know, air when they're re-airing episodes of The Flash um, and stuff yeah. like that. But no, I mean, I look at this at the article to go back to what we're talking about. I go, I go back... And okay, hold on. Um, it's Nate, right? Nate is Ink Geek, right? Yes. Okay. Now Nate just asked, "Who the fuck is Ryan Styles?" Um, 
Ryan Styles is, if you ever watch Whose Line Is It Anyway, he is the tall motherfucker on there who is usually the one getting the most, getting a lot of the jokes. Have I been saying Ryan Styles all this time? Yeah. I meant Ryan Seacrest. I'm so sorry. Okay. Oh, God that damn makes it. more sense. That makes more sense because I'm like, wait, Ryan Styles, the tall dude, right? I am 45 years old and I'm just falling apart. <laughs> okay. That makes more sense. Ryan Styles would be far more entertaining. Yes. Ryan Styles would be great on Kelly's show. That's why I was that's why I was that's why I just want I just want that's why I was mockery to do that show instead. <laughs> and to judge American Idol. Oh god yeah. damn it. If you did an American Idol but of improv, those guys, that would, oh fuck. Oh, that would be good. Hey, hey, um, people who are listening that pitch this shit, pitch that shit right there. Yeah, Only. listen to me because I obviously have a non-working brain. <laughs> um, Thanks, Nate. But no, getting back to the article because, and here's why. I, here's I think why the big reason why I am so surprised to see multi-camera sitcoms going away. They're not expensive to make. You would think that company that the, the production companies would want to some options with something that's not quite as expensive. The only thing I have in retaliation to that is that they're you're right they're not super expensive to make although i don't know that single camera sitcoms are either but what it does take is someone who can handle working in a live situation yeah uh in front of a, in front of a live studio audience without constantly flubbing their lines or getting overly nervous or anything else it's a now i'm not saying that you you don't have to have some backbone to do any kind of acting you obviously do and you probably have a good amount of experience but there is a different situation of doing a live show like that or doing a play or any of those things than there is to doing a show where everything's recorded where they can back up and retake and retake and retake as much as they need to and they can change stuff yeah. on the fly when they realize in seeing something live they go oh that joke doesn't work let's let's try it again now you do that in run throughs anyways but there's a different thing seeing it with the actors up and doing it on the on the set it really it's not super surprising to me that unless you have a a very talented cast or low expectations that that it might be something that yeah they would say let's let's minimize risk true all right so that is going to do it here for us you can you can send us information send us hate mail about the fact that we we somehow confused ryan seacrest with ryan styles um, you could do that by sending us a voicemail at 805-328-3966. It's fair. Or, yeah, or, it's fair. or email us mail at elsenerds.com. Please make sure you put that. It's okay to say, you know, we can share this stuff on, on the episodes because we will. Um, you could find all of our subscription options and links over at gncasts.com slash subscribe. And Brit, uh, Nate, you are right. You do need to start popping in earlier. Oh, you could join our us on our Facebook page over at Galactic Netcast, over at Galactic Network at GNK, or sorry, Facebook.com slash Galactic Netcasts. You could follow the show on Twitter and the network at Else Nerds at Galactic Netcast. And then you could follow the producers. Beatmaster is at Beatmaster80. Evan is at Mr. Underscore Fusion. You can follow follow me on Twitter inst and Instagram at that Gregor on Snapchat at Gregor nineteen forty two, because Snapchat doesn't let you fucking change the, the names. And Corey, where can people find the things you do? 
Well, not on Snapchat, because who's going to hang out there? It's a fucking tumbleweed blowing through that place. Uh, <laughs> you know what? You can you can find the comics that I, I help publish uh, at donutscomics.com. Also, yeah, if you're interested in seeing some really lowbrow art, I'm I'm trying to talk up my my wife's art right now, who does not need my help. Uh, she has certainly got a huge following, but she is an amazing artist, and I suggest that if you can handle a little bit of penis and then a lot more penis, uh, you can check out her art on Instagram. She is at hag underscore underscore attack. Uh, so hag attack, just the underscore in between. Uh, she's got a zine that's coming out that's going to be publishing some of her work and then another zine that she is helping publish and organize uh, with a lot of female artists, which I'm really looking forward to. I've seen some of the artwork coming in from, from them. It's all amazing. It's incredible stuff. Uh, and things are just blowing up for her. So yeah, if you if you like me, you'll probably like my friends and family and loved ones. Uh, and if you don't like me, you might like them anyways. They're way cooler than I am. Yes, and I will point out that if you watch the video stuff over Corey's right shoulder is his his wife's artwork. You know, so you've already been accustomed to it, just it with one hundred percent less penis. I mean, you can't see the whole thing. It's <laughs> under camera level and yeah, it's huge. He, he, he covers up most of it um but yeah so the final thing to be said is this has been a don't tell glenn production we will see you guys next week or seacrest out <laughs>